Welcome to Scandal.K12.us. Our Scandal K-12 curriculum is a true crime comedy podcast about bamboozling boards, sneaky superintendents, lame learning products, and teachers who are way too cool for school. This curriculum contains references of potential descriptions of crimes against minors in the field of education. Listener discretion is always advised. And now, time for our summer newsletter. Since the first printed record of this poem in 1932, Children have been gleefully reciting it, even though the school year has since expanded. No more pencils, no more books, no more teachers' dirty looks. School is over, school is done. We can stop learning and start having fun. Reading, writing, arithmetic, now much of that can make you sick. Reading, writing, and history, now much of that's enough for me. What I learn, don't remember, and I'm not going to try till next September. As of this recording, it is officially the end of term for students and teachers in the majority of states, and students and teachers can now be carefree until September, well, as long as they live in New England or the mid-Atlantic states. Students in Alabama, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Tennessee won't have the opportunity to spend carefree summer days idling away as they'll be returning to school as soon as the end of July. The earliest the school district returns in this nation is July 26th, at the Chandler Unified School District, a district that, according to the unverifiable website schooldigger.com, is better than 67% of other districts in the Didat Deus state of Arizona. Being 67% better than other Arizona schools is hard to know what the quality of education is in the state when Arizona as a whole is ranked 49th for public schools out of our 50 states, according to research by wallethub.com, who uses 33 relevant metrics to come up with that ranking. They use 33 relevant metrics, uh, I guess, by experts, paid by WalletHub.com. Perhaps we need to turn to a more reliable source, that of azcentral.com, who may have looked at the same data, but they had different psychometricians and ranked Arizona 39th place, noting that in 2021, that state dropped four places since the previous year, but that still leaves a strong 10-point spread to bet on. The lesson is, either way, in Arizona... Stay in school, kids. You're going to need it. Outside of Chandler Unified, most students enjoy their summer off as their parents scramble to find alternative childcare or enroll their kids in various summer camps or programs that may increase the likelihood their children will be admitted to a good college so they can get an advanced degree at a prestigious university, get a good job so they can marry well, have gifted and talented children themselves, save enough money for retirement and health care, and die with the most toys. Summer has also meant that teachers have time off. That is, teachers who don't have to attend mandatory training, sit in summer institutes in the overwarm hotel ballrooms, or are otherwise engaged in second jobs in order to help pay the bills over the summer. That's a lot of stress for an often low-paying job that requires higher education and continual recertification. According to the writing of one Texas school administrator, teachers have, quote, accumulated invisible scars from years of trying to educate the increasingly hobbled American child effectively enough that the children's international test scores will rival those children flourishing in wealthy, socially advanced Scandinavian nations and even wealthier Asian city-states where tiger moms value education like American parents value fast food and reality TV. Well, these invisible scars have to find an outlet, and while most educators may have silent, uneventful vacations in other states of our great nation, many educators take advantage of their relatively long break to explore other countries where American money goes further, beachside drinks are colder, or they can cause a kerfluffle with their summer plans without other people finding out, unless they are arrested.
For this summer special episode, we will check in with a few brief stories of American educators getting into trouble while on vacation, either traveling to another country or other parts of this land, in an episode we're calling Out on Vacation, Back on Probation. As we all know, there's a lot of bad hombres across the U.S.-Mexican border carrying contraband, such as guns. This story is about a criminal bringing an illegal weapon across the border, but she's a mujer, not a hombre, which was bringing that weapon from the United States into Mexico. Carrera Rosales, a science teacher at Red Mountain High School in Mesa, went to Mexico with some friends on winter break. She took her gun she called Monty everywhere. Well, fact check. She probably didn't call her gun Monty, but she did say that as a petite, young, attractive woman, she did take her gun everywhere to protect herself. On crossing the national border, this firearm-packing 29-year-old forgot that her gun was in her bag. It was a simple mistake. According to Rosales, quote, I take a travel bag everywhere I go. It has, you know, necessities, random necessities, and I keep my gun in that bag and, you know, mistakenly forgot to take it out. Certainly forgetting to take the gun out of the bag you always keep your gun in and which you always take with you when you travel is a simple mistake anyone can make if you own a gun and take it everywhere in the bag you keep your gun in. While Rosales legally owns her gun in the United States, in Mexico, this weapon is illegal. Oh, we're sorry, we mean undocumented. Due to this undocumented weapon, Rosales was sent to jail by Mexican authorities where she spent every day wondering how long she would be held. She believed that what she did was not a crime. Quote, I'm not an irresponsible gun owner. It's packed in my bag. Packed safely? There's a double safety on it, Rosalie said. I'm the only one that has access to that bag, you know, and it was just a matter of me forgetting to take it out. According to Mexican law, it doesn't matter if you smuggle a gun in your purse or your fanny pack or somewhere hidden in your body. It turns out that no matter how tight the zipper is on your bag, it is against the laws of Mexico to bring an undocumented gun into the country without first contacting the Secretaria Nacional de la Defense, which may issue a permit to carry the weapon across the border, but only to certain individuals. These permits are typically given to hunters who have contracted with an outfitter in Mexico or law enforcement in charge of guarding an American citizen, like a high-paid CEO or a U.S. government official, perhaps going on a sex tour or some kind of a drug bender. For the non-hunters out there and civilians not reenacting the film The Bodyguard, the Mexican government has a handy sheet in both English and Spanish describing what sort of weapons can enter the country without a permit, and this list includes dart guns, high-powered air rifles and pistols, captive bolt guns, which according to the actual English version of the government's website says it's used for, quote, cattle sacrifice. Just what sort of bad hombres does Mexico think are coming from our country? And what sort of sacrifices are we making when we go wild in Cancun? For not following the rules and thinking the rules don't apply to petite women who need guns, Rosalie spent time in a Mexican prison where she said the conditions were, quote, horrid and that the rest of the inmates were, quote, mean to her. Perhaps all those weekends grading school science experiments never allowed her the time to binge Orange is the New Black, the popular show on Netflix that examined lady prisoners being mean to one another and stretched it out for seven seasons of must-see TV. During her time in prison, Rosalie's was confined with eight other women, none of whom spoke English. And Rosalie's does not speak Spanish, for all of you out there who were microaggressioning, thinking that because she has a Spanish last name, she speaks Spanish. Since the women in the facility have to double up two per bunk, 
and she was not able to communicate with them in their native language, and maybe she had a slight superiority complex, or we don't know, we might just be making that up. Rosalie's claims to have had to sleep on the floor, not being allowed into any of the bunks. Rosalie's family advocated for her release and started a GoFundMe campaign which raised over $17,000 for an attorney or 336,750,400 Mexican pesos. An amount of money that would take the average Mexican laborer working outside of a major city three and a half years to make. You can just imagine, if that average worker crossed our border with a gun, what would happen to them? After some legal wrangling and more than four weeks in a Mexican prison, Rosalie's was deported to America and has returned to her simple gun-toting science-teaching life. According to NBC12 News, number one in push notifications, Rosalie's was able to learn from her experience and offer some advice for those crossing the border. Quote, Check your stuff. Our next teacher also went to Mexico for a wedding and in doing so created a whole pile of cookies full of butter, cream, powdered sugar, and a lot of bullshit. So when you're gone, who remembers your name? Who keeps your flame? Who tells your story? It turns out who tells your story when you've gone to Mexico is angry parents, right-wing ideologues, and trash tabloids. According to the New York Post newspaper, whose founder was glossed over in the Broadway musical and NPR darling Hamilton, quote, Parents at a California school are questioning why a kindergarten teacher not opted to return to the physical classroom is taking her virtual lessons on a Mexican vacation. Since we're relying on the New York Post, which was founded by Alexander Hamilton, as we said, maybe we need to Hamilton this up a bit. How does a resident, taxpayer, parent, student, elementary, dropped in the middle of West Contra Costa Unified School District by Providence, COVID isolated, learning incapacitated, get their child to grow up to be a hero and a scholar? Apparently parents of the Bay Area community, where it's really hard to even touch a two-bedroom single-family house for under $700,000 and who also conveniently live next to Silicon Valley, don't seem to know how the internet works and that Virtual work can be done from anywhere where one can connect to uh, the autism-inducing 5G network or Facebook drones or Google balloons for the internet. According to the school district, teachers could refuse to return to the classroom without providing any medical reason, and they could continue to work remotely until the school fully reopened in the coming academic year. Along with many others, this West Contra Costa teacher had declined to return to in-person classes for the remainder of the year, but unlike some, she took to remote work like a digital native. Last month, the unnamed teacher picked up her bags and made plans to go to Mexico for 12 days to attend her son's wedding, which had been postponed due to COVID. During this time in Mexico, she planned to continue to teach part-time rather than get a substitute and messaged the parents that she would be maintaining most of her regular schedule with only a few days off or shortened due to events with the family. She let parents know clearly that she was signing into class from Mexico in an email and claimed that she had set up all the lesson plans and, quote, all supplies and materials will be provided ahead of time for any class activities that will take place while I'm out of the country. While she did not quote Aaron Burr from Hamilton the Musical, she had, um, perhaps she should have, and she might have said, Now I'm the villain in your history. I was too young and blind to see. I should have known. The world was wide enough for both Mexico and me. 
because the villain in history she would become. Parents in the district were outraged by the teacher leaving the confines of her home where she connected virtually to the classroom to connect virtually to the classroom via the confines of a hotel. Rather than just complaining to school leadership, parents complained to the advocacy group Reopen California Schools, a perhaps grassroots California parents group administered by one Jonathan Zackerson. Jonathan Zackerson is a shadowy, concerned parent who appears to be active on several pro-school choice websites, and his Reopen California Schools Facebook group links to a political group called Families First California, which, outside of their Facebook page, uh, financial contribution form, they ha don't seem to have any solid online footprint or documentation as a bona fide organization. On the family's first Facebook page, concerned members of the public with a rage hard on against public schools are encouraged to give a non-tax deductible donation to the organization in order to fight the tyranny of such things as mask mandates or the many other health regulations that led to the closure of schools in the first place during COVID. Zackerson vilified the teacher who logged in from Mexico on such trusted media venues as Twitter and Facebook, as well as appeared on Fox News and the right-leaning political news aggregator and Trump-leaning website Real Clear Politics. As part of the group's campaign against the villainous teacher who was just phoning it in from Mexico, Families First California penned a missive on Twitter with a screenshot of the teacher's email to parents which rivals the writings of Hamilton himself. Quote, Unreal. Teacher for West Contra Costa in California cancels class time and assigns homework instead to attend son's wedding in Mexico. Half the teachers in West Contra Costa, including this one, were allowed to stay remote for quote-unquote health reasons. Speaking on Fox News about teachers shirking their duties and getting paid to do nothing during the pandemic using COVID mandates to avoid all responsibility, Zacherson also asked tough questions about why schools were not open for American children while undocumented migrants were getting real in-person classroom experiences. Well, we wonder how those classrooms and detention centers rank on a national outcomes measure. Like we wondered, did the kids in the detention center have AP classes offered, and were they taught through project-based learning as they paced about their chain-link cages? On Fox & Friends, co-founder of Reopen California Schools, Sharon McKeeman, also weighed in. Her involvement as a parent, Christian author and wife in San Diego, seems sincere until we learn that, according to her website, she homeschools her four kids. Yes, the advocate for reopening public schools for American children keeps her own personal children at home and yet is concerned about reopening schools. So, is her kitchen not open for regular classes due to dad's mask mandate? Or do we have the wrong Sharon McKeeman? Nope, we checked. That's our Karen. <laughs> we mean Sharon. Whoever the players are in these shadowy Facebook groups and political organizations or the dark money funding these sources, Reopen California Schools plans on a media blitz to make teachers and schools accountable, and along with lawsuits that will get the message out, they're also going to get the message out with billboards, emails, and perhaps some other dead media like Google Hangouts, Elo, Macedon, or MeWe. Discussing the concerns of the group Reopen California Schools and schools reopening in the age of pandemics in general, Thomas Green, head lecturer at UC Berkeley, in an article on edsource.org, said, quote, These parents are absolutely right to advocate for their children. But what I see often missing from efforts like this is concern for the working conditions of teachers. It's not like teachers don't want to go back to school. Of course they do. They're devoted to their jobs. It's a question of how to do it safely. However, 
Should the safety of students, teachers, and staff come before student achievement, especially for those students who need educational resources the most? According to an article in CaliforniaNewsTimes.com, and we're going to quote with no corrections from the original text, quote, Howard University professor and psychologist Celeste Malone warned that colorful, poorly background children are at greatest risk of facing mental health challenges by missing out on classroom learning. Dot, space, dot, dot, close quote. While Celeste Malone is indeed a real assistant professor of school psychology at Howard University, we doubt that she's advocating for, quote, colorful, poorly background children. On closer read, the entire article seems assembled by an artificial intelligence, perhaps the same technology that relied on regions of the internet that made Tay, Microsoft's AI chatbot, into a raging racist ass. Not to be outdone by Microsoft's Tay's asshattery, Reopen California Schools also tweeted proof that this particular teacher's schedule change when she traveled to Mexico was not her first offense. Not long before her trip, she thoughtlessly canceled class, only notifying families the night before in order to unexpectedly return to an eye doctor for an emergency procedure. Yes, in addition to setting up to teach class remotely from Mexico during her son's wedding, she had shirked her sacred duties to the children so she could continue to use her eyeballs. While the entire tequila storm seems to be calming down, according to media articles, she's being investigated by the district, uh, but not for refusing to return to the classroom and to continue to teach remotely, which, as the district said, was within her rights with the memorandum of understanding between the teachers' union and the district, but for how she scheduled her vacation time between teaching. While many of us were thrown into remote work and as offices reopen, some even quit their jobs to remain remote. However, remote work isn't for teachers since, let's face it, we need somewhere physical to store our children while we earn enough money to fill our live young's unmet emotional needs and parental separation anxiety with vast arrays of consumer goods and expensive therapy. Our last story is again one that involves the sunny beaches of the Southern Sphere. According to the news aggregator MyStateLine.com, and originally written by Chicago's very own WGN-TV, a Chicago teachers' union leader is facing criticism for vacationing in the Caribbean while at the same time claiming it's unsafe for teachers to return to the classroom, and at a time when Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot was forcing teachers to return to the classroom even while the pandemic continued to rage on. Sarah Chambers, now a former Area A vice president, took her winter break in sunny Puerto Rico along with union colleagues, where she posed for pictures in front of hotel pools, drinking tropical cocktails, and enjoying sumptuous dinners in Old San Juan, the tourist center of the impoverished, not a nation, not a state. According to WSWS.org, quote, The incident revealed the essence of the Chicago's Teachers' Union, which falsely claims to represent more than 30,000 educators in the nation's third-largest school district. It is an outfit run by upper-middle-class functionaries who are completely insulated from the disastrous consequences their actions have and continue to produce for rank-and-file teachers and working-class families in the city. Yikes. What sort of right-wing publication is WSWS? Oh, it's the World Socialist website. So, leftist-wing publication. Chambers responded to the criticism of her leftist foes, quote, I understand that I was insensitive and wrong for me to go on this trip for winter break, 
for me to share photos of it at a time when thousands of my union sisters and brothers and the families we serve are refraining from travel or making only essential plans outside of the home. I deeply regret my actions, and I fully understand why many are upset, a post on her now-deleted Facebook said. The WSWS writer was not convinced. Perhaps he's one of those disheveled guys on campus with obscure punk band t-shirts on who seem to always stand outside the student union hawking copies of the international workers paper and then they'd, they'd push a copy into your hands and then demand a dollar but anyway the writer continues quote corporate and far-right news media predictably seized upon chambers post to try to smear teachers by equating them with the complicit and corrupt chicago teachers union officials According to the right-wing gutter press, teachers' opposition to a return to in-person learning is not driven by concern for the well-being of educators, children, and their parents, but a desire for more time off. And, of course, cue the right-wing. Responding to an article on Newser.com, user The Watcher said, quote, I guarantee teachers' unions are corrupt leftist organizations that don't give a damn about children. Left-wing indoctrinization and self-enrichment are their goals now. User MQ also piled on more with this comment, quote, Chicago Union VP, I bet this BCH feels entitled to, all caps, more privileges, privileges spelled wrong, than the Queen of England. Well, that might seem an educated comment, uh, because they did reference uh, a royalty, unless one sees that the same user in response to an article about a new Georgia voting law commented, quote, in 1861, southern states broke from the USA due to constant federal government meddling into state business. Sounds like the Washington Swamp learned nothing in 160 years. Woof. I guess the voice of the people is itself a swamp. A user going by the name Mark M. on the same thread had a more reasonable response to the article saying, quote, If you have recovered from COVID, you are immune from getting it or transmitting it. There was no danger in her traveling and returning as she would be of no danger to anyone. Calm down, people. The people, it seems, have since calmed down. Teachers in Chicago have returned to the classroom as of the recording of this story, so it seems all is well, except that Chambers has stepped away from her social media, deleting her Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as stepping down from union leadership. She has returned to the classroom as a special education teacher and will perhaps think before sharing any vacation photos. Speaking of vacation photos, one union group warned its members to avoid oversharing so that it might not create a culture of FOMO among parents. According to Newsweek, a, quote, leaked screenshot from a members-only page for Los Angeles Unified School District Union members allegedly wrote, a leaked screenshot from a members-only page for LAUSD Union members allegedly read, quote, friendly reminder, if you are planning any trips for spring break, please keep that off of social media. It is hard to argue that it is unsafe for in-person instruction if parents and the public see vacation photos and international travel. This post was uncovered by Bill Melogen of Fox 11 Los Angeles and was made public when he tweeted out a screenshot of the supposed original that was posted on the union members' members-only Facebook group. According to Fox News, the warning not to post any vacation photos online came after members voted overwhelmingly not to return to what the union called unsafe classrooms. It seems that teachers didn't want to go back to their schools, 91% rejecting returning to in-person teaching, while 9% embraced it. While we don't know what the comments on the original post were or whether there was any sort of discussion, 
or we also don't know how many teachers were indeed planning to travel during what was still a time of high risk, the union responded with a short statement to Fox 11. Quote, We have a diverse membership, and they are able to post their views on personal Facebook pages. And in this Facebook group, the union does not monitor nor is responsible for the content. We do not want to discourage a robust dialogue from members in the public square of opinion. We here at Scandal.K12.com are concerned that teachers are not posting drunken Cancun photos or pictures of themselves feeding spider monkeys in Peru or running about Burning Man with a flower stuffed in a very unlikely place where the sun doesn't shine, since if they did, it would allow for many more episodes of Scandal.K12.us such as this one to just write themselves. If you are involved in any way with education, you already know that teachers and staff have tough jobs. But according to CNBC, while teaching has historically had a low satisfaction rate among teachers, in the past year, the satisfaction dropped even lower, from 67% satisfied down to 44%. With a 44% satisfaction rate, we're teaching a movie in theaters, chances are you wouldn't go and see it. Well, chances are, at least at the time of this recording, you're also not going to go out and see a movie because of COVID closures. So, So there is that too. In addition to job dissatisfaction among teachers, of the roughly 3.5 million full and part-time public school teachers, it is said that more than one-third, or 38%, said that working during the pandemic has made them consider changing jobs. With more jobs shifting to fully remote, it may be time for many of these high-skilled workers to change jobs and perhaps industries so that they can reap the benefits of the digital tech economy and let parents find teachers, staff classrooms, and manage schools on their own. Those parents will quickly see how much teachers are worth, even if a few of them do make bad choices like taking off to go to Mexico for a wedding or smuggling a gun across the border. We will now return to our summer schedule and... We do look forward to September where we will once again resume our regular curriculum and a more polished format. As always, we get a lot of our soundscape via freesound.org. We thank our Patreons for their continued support, and we continue to reboot, revamp, and revise our teaching offerings in the long and sweltering summer. Have a safe and healthy summer, students. <laughs>